Malachi, if you would, Malachi chapter 2, and we will continue our thoughts and studies in this minor prophet. It has been a journey, hasn't it? Going through all the minor prophets, and here we are in the final one, final stages of uh, the minor prophets. And boy, how interesting it is. This section we're going to deal with tonight is probably... It, not probably, it is one of the more challenging sections in Malachi. There are many, 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 many different ideas uh, to this, these verses that we're going to look at tonight. Uh, but I think through, uh, w- with the help of the Lord, uh, we are, are going to uh, take the challenge, try to meet the challenge tonight and, and look at these verses. All right. So, let's keep in mind some things. Israel. On a national level, national scale, their leadership was horrible. At this particular time, Malachi is, uh, as with many of the minor prophets, they have, they have been given the challenge to share the burden not only of their heart, but of the Lord as well. We notice that from the very beginning of uh, Malachi, that it was the burden of the Lord that came to him. He in, in, uh, is transferring that burden because he is the man of God, and giving it to the people. We find this as a, 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 uh, a pattern all throughout uh, the Minor Prophets. Uh, the, the series of questions that we found in chapter 1 all the way through, uh, the, the children of Israel and the leadership, and mind you, it's the spiritual leaders and also the political leaders in that day, they had some issues. They're like, did we really do that? They're like, it's, it's almost like when, when Malachi would question them or when God would question them through Malachi, they're saying, what are you talking about? We haven't done that. And, and then Malachi has to remind them, yes, you have. Yes, you did. And this is what you have done. This is how you have done it. And so we're in the midst of all of that that's going on. One of the hardest things that we've dealt with as in chapter number 2, was so much corruption. God was severely disappointed in the children of Israel and especially within the spiritual leadership. I, I, would, I would draw our attention to this as well because as we also have noticed, and you know this very well, as we have moved through these things, we have seen now, uh, we have seen how America parallels these things. Well, America is not mentioned and he's not talking to America, but Mankind is the same everywhere across the globe. Okay, And so when you have a, a, a good basis of spiritual leadership and then it begins to decline, those same patterns begin to develop. Israel had that. They had great leadership at one point in time. And then things begin to develop in such a way where now they have become a huge disappointment to God. Let me ask you a question. You think America is a huge disappointment to God? I think so. That's just my personal opinion. I I think America's been gravely mistaken with so many things. We're going to see a little bit more of that uh, even tonight in in this section. But uh, all of that was due to uh, uh, corrupt leadership and right on down the line. God God condemned them so much so uh, within uh, this passage uh, uh, of, of Malachi. So, uh, so the Lord, you know, as he's using him, Malachi, to address these issues with the people, 
uh, God not being pleased with him. He's tried to show them the extent of the covenant that he made. And when we left off last time, it's been about two or three weeks ago, we left off last time and, and God has given through Malachi again that covenant and explaining that covenant that he made with Israel, with the, with the tribe of Levi specifically. And if you recall, the tribe of Levi, when Moses come down from the top of Mount Sinai and, and uh, you know, we had the tablets of stone and, and uh, the, you know, Aaron was there and the golden calf, you know, that popped up. That, whoa, you know, golden calf, that, that must have been an exciting day to see. Uh, he, he's lost his mind. We know that. All right. It didn't happen that way. You know, we know that somebody took out a tool, they took out a hammer, they took something and they carved that golden calf out of the gold that was in the pot. Anyway. The only ones, the only ones. And Moses asked this question, who is on the Lord's side? And the tribe of Levi was the only ones to respond and go over and stand with, with Moses. And God said, I'm going to be making a covenant with you. And he did. They were a great tool that God used from that point on to be uh, used of the Lord in uh, the uh, the construction and the moving of the tabernacle all throughout the wilderness. And God used them for that. They were, they were actually fantastic witnesses for the Lord. From them came all of the priests that we find uh, in Scripture. And they did all the ministering of those things. And because, it was because they had a testimony. They did want to please God. But then, as we all know, that over the years something happens. And not everybody stays true to the Lord over the years, isn't that? Yeah. That's, that's kind of, I hate to say it's a normal pattern, but it is a pattern. Unfortunately, it's a pattern. And it's a pattern in spiritual leadership as well. And I honestly believe that America has gone down that road as well. You know what? We shouldn't even be, there, there should never be a consideration of some of the bills and some of the garbage of the bills that comes out of our state capital, let alone our federal capital. Some of those things should never have been considered. But anyway, we're in that place right now. So what's going to happen to us? Well, you know, judgment's coming. It's coming. Now, fortunately or unfortunately, whichever way you look at it, judgment is coming. Now, most of the time when we say judgment's coming, that's a bad thing. But sometimes it can be a good thing. Because God is righteous. God's righteous. Now, when we think about in light of those things we find that uh, Malachi tells the children of Israel, said all the things that you have done, you've been very shameful. You ought to be ashamed of yourself for those things, for the how you've behaved in, in these things and how you have brought corruption and it's infiltrated the minds and the hearts of, of the normal, of the everyday common people in Israel. And when this is what had happened. And I'm just kind of bringing everybody up to speed, all right? We'll get to the text here in just a second. So this is what happened. We know this to be true is that the spiritual leaders, they begin to add to the law by instituting oral law. It wasn't part of God's word. It wasn't part of what Moses received on top of Mount Sinai. But we find that the spiritual leaders, they said, well, I think this, this might be good if we added this to the law. And so with that comes not only the, with the law in its entirety comes the good stuff, but also comes the garbage. 
And the, the rabbis, uh, in fact, in Jesus' day, they utilized the oral law that had been passed down from them to actually crucify Christ. Because they had nothing written down against Christ. But it was all based on the oral law. And if you would look at the life of Christ and the conversations that Jesus had with the Pharisees, you can see how that he, he takes them and he, he really messes with their minds. Because he knows their heart. And I love that. you got to love that about Jesus. Hey, I know what you're thinking. Now, the only person in here that probably might would know what I'm thinking is my wife. So I have to be real careful. All right, you know that to be true. Over the years, you, you know, I mean, we've looked at each other and said, I know what you're thinking. She looked at me and said, I know what you're thinking. And then it's like, ooh, we know what we're thinking. Jesus, however, he knows exactly. So with the disappointment that the Israelites brought, here in this section tonight, we're going to read. I, I want to show uh, everyone tonight from, from verse 10, hopefully down through verse number 17, the destructive leadership. And yes, God was disappointed, but this leadership was all so destructive in everything that they done, all right? So let's read the text of Scripture, and then we will, uh, we'll continue on. I, I want us to, uh, uh, let's back up, if you would, to verse number 6. We'll start reading at verse number 6. I'm sorry, verse 5, verse 5, and this will kind of catch the flow, and some of this you'll recognize as I've already made some statements about it. Verse 5, my covenant was with him of life and peace. That's the covenant he had with Levi, the tribe of Levi, and gave them to him for the fear wherewith he feared me and was afraid before my name. The law of truth was in his mouth, and iniquity was not found in his lips. He walked with me in peace and equity and did turn many away from iniquity. There's the testimony and the witness of the tribe of Levi and what they did. Verse 7, for the priest's lips should keep knowledge, and they should seek the law at his mouth. Watch this now. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But then watch what happens. But you're departed out of the way. Ye have caused many to stumble at the law. Ye have corrupted the covenant of Levi, saith the Lord of hosts. Therefore have I also made you contemptible and base before all the people, according as ye have not kept my ways, but have been partial in the law. You see the combination of an oral law and a written law is mentioned there in verse number 9. Now watch these, watch these questions. Have we not all one father? Hath not one God created us? Why do we deal treacherously every man against his brother by profaning the covenant of our fathers? Judah hath dealt treacherously, and an abomination is committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah hath profaned the holiness of the Lord which he loved, and hath married the daughter of a strange God. The Lord will cut off the man that doeth this, the master and the scholar out of the tabernacles of Jacob and him that offereth an offering unto the Lord of hosts. And this have you done again, covering the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping and with crying out, insomuch that he regardeth not the offering anymore or receiveth it with good will at your hand. Yet ye say, Wherefore? 
Because the Lord hath been witness between thee and the wife of thy youth, against whom thou hast dealt treacherously, yet is she thy companion and the wife of thy covenant. And did not uh, he make one? Yet had he the residue of the Spirit, and wherefore one? That he might seek a godly seed. Therefore take heed to your spirit and let none deal treacherously against the wife of his youth. For the Lord, the God of Israel, saith that he hateth putting, uh, putting away. For one covereth violence with his garment, saith the Lord of hosts. Therefore take heed to your spirit that ye deal not treacherously. Now watch what Israel says. I'm sorry, watch what Malachi said. Ye have wearied the Lord with your words. Yet ye say... Wherein have we wearied him? When ye say, Everyone that doeth evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delighteth in them. Or, where is the God of judgment? Now, verse 17, we'll get there in a moment, but I just want to say this. Have you ever heard anybody in the, I don't know, the last five years, two or three years, saying, Oh, everybody's good. Oh, it's all good. There's not, there's not a person who is uh, he's going to be cast into hell. God's not that kind of God. Everybody's not, got some good in them. So, yeah. Israel is saying that in verse 17. Well, let's back up. I'll, I'll get to there. I'm sorry. I jumped way, way ahead of myself. Uh, I just couldn't resist. Couldn't resist. So let's look at a few things here, all right? Now, the earlier problems that the priest had uh, were involved... That, that they were involved with were bad enough. And we talked a little bit about those things, about the corruption uh, that they had and, and, and about the, the God had given them the commandments, the covenant that they had, uh, that God had given with them and, and all of those things. We've, we've discussed all that. That's bad enough as it is. But in the additional things that are mentioned here in this chapter, it gets worse. I mean, it's bad enough to be a disappointment to God. Nobody in their right mind, especially no Christian, no, no true believer, would ever want to disappoint God, right? You know, my, my fear is that, 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 that I have disappointed Him. In fact, I know I've disappointed Him. And I have to apologize to the Lord. Lord, I'm sorry. I know I've disappointed you in this area or this thing or, or whatever. And I, and I ask God to forgive me all the time because I feel like that I've, I've disappointed Him. But when I, look at the, when I look at these guys, I'm like, well, I'm not as bad as they are. But then I have to think, that's not, a, that's not a really good comparison, all right? I'm not to be comparing myself to the corrupt priest of the days of Israel, all right? They, 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 didn't, have, they didn't have to deal with the things I have to deal with nowadays. Uh, vice versa, all right? So I, I, none of us need to do that kind of a comparison. But what I am showing you is this. When we draw the parallels to the United States of America and the leadership, whether it's the political leadership or the spiritual leadership. And when I say spiritual, I mean pastors of churches. I mean fathers in homes, mothers in homes. All of which are spiritual leaders in their particular roles. We have some issues. They had some issues. 
we, we find several things. They, of course, were adding to the law and they were taking from the law. They had some false interpretations of the law. And what, that, what happens with that is that it deepens the problem. When, when a person will take the law of God or take the word of God and say, well, let me, let me see if I can add to what God says. I got into a discussion with someone earlier today is that we find it interesting that, that what happens with a lot of people is that they are trying to take the word of God and adapt it to their life. Instead, of, instead it's the opposite needs to happen. We need to learn to adapt to the word of God. You know, God says it this way. God, God means it this way. The law says this. That God is teaching us this and we need to learn to adapt to that. Not try to twist the words of the law or twist the words of, the, uh, of God and, and, and pull from seven different locations to try to make something fit to our lifestyle. See, that's one of the problems that exists in that day. It's existing today. You see, there's a huge parallel with that. You can't have that going on, especially not within the church, not within the confines of the house of God or, or the people of God, the, those who are part of the family of God. It doesn't need to happen that way at all. Hmm. There is a heart issue. The bottom line is a heart issue. That's where the problem came from. Yes, while they were adding to and taking from and misinterpreting the law, that problem was a heart issue. It, it was also a, uh, there's a greater advocate for pleasure. They were more insistent on having pleasurable things in their life from the world rather than being separate from the world. We can't, we have to be in this world, but we don't have to be a part of the world. I don't have to participate in the same things that the world participates in. That's what, that's what Malachi is trying to get across. That's what God is trying to get across to the people of Israel here. You, you can live your life, but you don't have to participate in the evil or the wickedness that goes on in the world. Those otherwise were a huge disappointment to God. The destructive leadership, that's what they were doing. In their disappointment to God, they've become destructive because now it's starting to affect everyone else. Let me show you a couple of things. Look at this. In verse 10, 11, and 12, there are the abominable ways of the spiritual leadership. All right, The abominable ways. What are these things? The, the, the sins now have moved... Um, from the spiritual leaders to the countrymen, just the average person within the country, and then even further to the wives of those countrymen. And we have to remember something about that particular culture. The, the wives, the women in that particular culture were not considered um, respectable. They would, they would not treat them with respect. And so now what they're doing, the spiritual leaders, they have, they have magnified that in a different way. You know, the Lord says this, the Bible tells us this, that God is no respecter of persons, right? The ground is level at the foot of the cross, we know that. I mean, no, the Bible doesn't say that specifically, but we do know that each person is an individual and each one of us need to learn how to submit to the Lord, male and female. 
the culture of that day was not, not like that at all. The, the oriental culture, the women always walked behind the men. The, the, the women, that, there's something different. There, there was a different culture, different way that they would treat them. And many times it was a, a great, huge lack of respect. But what's happening here is that these sins of the countrymen, uh, sins of the leaders have now spread to the countrymen and then to the wives. It was, it was part of an unholy and unsanctioned marriage that God did not intend to happen with them. What are, you, what, what are we talking about? Look at this in verse number 10. Look at this. Have we not all one Father? Hath not one God created us? Why do we deal treacherously every man against his brother by profaning the covenant of our fathers? What is he he's referring to here is, is the very act of God or the action of God was not part of their lives at all and they were going against each other. When he says that have we not all one Father, here's what he's referring to. He was referring to God the Father instead of Abraham, not Abraham and not Jacob. He's referring to God the Father. We, we are all have the same father as far as creation is concerned because we all know and understand this, that God is the one who created us all, right? Right. So God created us all. So, so when he's talking here about the father, do we not have one father? He's talking about God the father. Because some are going to argue, well, well, Abraham, now he, uh, you know, Sarah gave him Hagar and there was Ishmael and that just messed everything up. All right, hang on, hang on. That was a treacherous thing that Abraham and Sarah got involved with. God never intended for that to happen, even though it did happen. What was the purpose of that? God wanted to preserve a godly seed. That was the purpose behind that. But the problem exists because of the abominable ways of the spiritual leadership. They were actually taking part in acquiring other women from pagan nations and marrying them. And God says that's despicable because God wanted to preserve the seed. Look at this if you would. When he asked those questions, when Malachi is asking those questions, you know, God's created us, we, you know, we're, every man is dealing treacherously, his brothers profaning the covenant, because God made a covenant. Did he not make a covenant with Abraham? He made a covenant with Isaac, covenant with Jacob, covenant with Levi, covenant with David, I mean, many covenants that God made, but specifically he's talking about with the nation of Israel here. Look at this in verse number 11. He says, Judah hath dealt treacherously, and an abomination is committed in Israel and Jerusalem, for Judah hath profaned the holiness of the Lord which he loved, and hath, watch this phrase, hath married the daughter of a strange God. Hmm. God has made, made us not only physical, but he's also made us spiritually what we are. But what was happening with the people there, they were being taught differently, and they were being taught differently by the spiritual leadership. In this verse, verse 11, God made that union. God made a union, uh, and that union was to stay separate. Israel was to stay separate from the heathen nations and the pagans' gods that would destroy them. When we see that phrase at the end of verse number 11, the daughter of a strange god, listen, the law forbade 
Israel to marry anyone outside of the Israelite family. Don't marry outside the Israelite family. If you do that, you are inviting paganism and heathenism in. You're you're inviting idolatry in. You're inviting the worship of another god into into the family, into the, the family that I've made a covenant with. God said, don't do that. In other words, that's an abominable way. What this was was a safeguard against idolatry. By forbidding them to do that. And they, they were because they were not to have any graven images. Now we, we can go back and look and we can see that happening. Remember a fellow by the name of Ahab? What was his wife's name? Jezebel. A few of you remember that. All right. You, you can, you know, answer me if you want to. All right. So, yes, his, his wife's name was Jezebel. Do you remember what she did to the nation of Israel? What did she bring in? Other gods. What well, was his name? Somebody said it over here. Baal. Yes, she brought Baal. Do you think that made God happy? Well, why do you think he said it ain't going to rain for three or rain till I say it's going to rain? All right. You see what you see that, and that's a pattern. That was a pattern that happened throughout the history of that. That's just one example of many. And so, what happened is there was the marriage of a, of of God's uh, men of the the people of God, uh, the Israelites, to the strange gods who brought in idolatry and brought in paganism and brought in the heathenistic working worship. They did not follow this as we know from history. And, and, and Solomon, they didn't follow the law of God by, by forbidding them to marry uh, the heathenistic people or the pagan people. And so one of the worst ones was Solomon. Now I get it, Solomon was wise. And yes, I, I agree with, you know, Scripture tells us that he was the wisest man that ever walked on the face of the earth. And, but there are some things I'm not too sure about. He was wise in many ways. He was discerning and able to discern and able to, to be able to do some great things. But, oh, you know what Solomon's downfall was? All the numerous wives that he had. Because here's what the Bible says. They turned his heart away from God. That was a problem. Huh? What'd you say? Women. Women. Plural. Yeah. Not your woman, but other other ones. Yeah. Yeah. I got you. I got you. Uh, uh, there was a huge problem. And it influenced greatly those that followed after him. It influenced them away from the true God. That was probably, you see, it's, it, God has, listen, God has established certain things in his book for us. Would you agree with me on that? All right. And he's established, as he's established these things in his, in his word, we do not need to deviate from that. The moment that we deviate from that, there is a huge problem that ensues. That's what happened with Israel. Look at this verse. Verse 12, and the Lord will cut off the man that doeth this, the master and the scholar, out of the tabernacles of Jacob, and him that offer an offering unto the Lord of hosts. 
Verse 12 is kind of interesting in the fact that God says, All right, for everybody that does this, you marry a strange daughter of another God, you bring in the idol worship, I'm cutting you off. Yeah. Your offering, meaningless. You see, in that day, offerings were huge as far as the worship is concerned. That was a big part because when they worshiped, what did they do? They built an altar and they presented an offering. They brought a lamb the first year. They brought a turtle dove, an ox, whatever it was that they brought and was able to bring as far as the worship was concerned. And, got, and the, when you put it on, uh, set it on fire and it burns up to the burnt offering and it's sweet-smelling savor to God, God would be pleased with that if it is done correctly. Incorrectly. It's not a pleasing smell to God, but it's a stench in his nostrils. And he's saying here in verse 12, he said, you do that and your offering is meaningless. It's abominable. Look at verse 13. Verse 13, he says this, and this ye have done again. Covering the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping, and with crying out, insomuch that he regardeth not the offering any more or receiveth it with good will at your hand. In verse 13 down through verse number 16, here is the abandoned wives. And here's where it gets extremely interesting. And bear with me on this because this is by far well, the most challenging part to all of Malachi. All right? So what is he talking about here? Well, their marriages were idolatrous. In a nutshell, their marriages were idolatrous because it was an abominable way. So the heathen marriages were causing great misery on the part of the families and the entire nation of Israel. So these heathen marriages. Now, if you look at verse 13 again, he says... What, what is it about the tears? They have, you have done again, or, or you've corrupted again, you have disappointed again. And he says, you're covering the altar of the Lord with tears. Who is covering the altar of the Lord with tears? The wives. The wives. The wives are the ones in whom uh, they, they've been weeping and they're crying out. They did not want this to happen. The, one, the, the culprits were, were the men in this case. Now, it's not always true. We know that just because of culture. But in that day, in this particular area, in this particular passage, historically we find these priests were the culprits. And they abandoned their wives. God refused to accept their offerings. The wives who had been very cautious, they had been treated carelessly. They had they have actually been divorced by the husbands because the husbands had made alliances with the pagans and with the, uh, the idolatrous people of that area. They thought, the husbands thought that the offerings that they would give would be sufficient, but God said that is incorrect. The issue is not the offering. It's their heart. Their heart was in the wrong place. The worst possible thing happened to them. They were put away. The idea of putting away is that we cut, we're cutting them off. 
It would be the same terminology today as divorce, uh, putting away. Abandon is if I could use that phrase. What was God's purpose? God's purpose, he wanted to maintain the sanctity of their marriage. He wanted to preserve a godly seed. How do you do that? Well, let's go back. Let's go back in time. Way back in time. Like 6,000 years ago back in time. God created who? Adam. And then he, from the rib of Adam, he created Eve. Whoa, man. Yeah. Now, watch this. Let me show you something. Just remember that, remember that phrase right there. Watch what happens. Watch what he says here in uh, verse 14. Yet you say, wherefore? Remember he said, the Lord said, Malachi saying, you have... You have abandoned the wives. You've put them away. He says, yet you say, what, wherefore? In other words, what are you talking about? Huh? That, that's what I see. What are you talking about? We didn't do this. Whoop. Watch now. Because the Lord hath been witness between thee and the wife of thy youth, youth Against whom thou hast dealt treacherously, yet is she thy companion and the wife of thy covenant. God says, you made a covenant, but you've broken the covenant. Now, I know this, I know this to be true. You know this to be true. In today's culture, that covenant is not always broken by the man. A lot of times it is, but a lot of times it's broken by the woman. It's just the truth of the matter. Okay, watch what he says there. Verse 15. And did not he make one? Question. So what happens? When, when the marriage takes place, the, 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 usually the preacher, oh, all right, the preacher says, these two shall become one. Because the Bible says, the two shall become one. God said it in Genesis 2-7. Jesus said it. In Matthew, and he said it in Mark, these two shall become one. And what God has joined together, let not man put asunder. That's a quote, by the way. Because God has made one. In the vow, you become one. And the vow should not be broken. Too often, the vow is broken. And it's unfortunate. What will God do? God may deal treacherously with the one who's broken the vow. And that's unfortunate. Shouldn't happen that way. But it does. But watch what he says now. Here's an interesting phrase. I want to draw your attention to it. Remember I said a moment ago that he made Adam and he made Eve. And those two became one. Look at this phrase in verse 15. Yet had he the residue of the Spirit and wherefore one. What does that mean? Here's the, here's the idea behind that phrase. God had the ability to give Adam more wives if he wanted to. Okay? 
He had the residue of the spirit means that God could put the spirit, a spirit, a soul into another person, another woman, all right, another female. Amen. One man, you know, male, female. Y'all with me on this one? I don't want to go down that road tonight, but I, I think you understand. A man and a woman. That's what marriage is between, man and a woman. Amen? I think I should have got more amens on that. A man and a woman. Yeah, praise Jesus. All right. Now, he's saying here that the, the residue of the Spirit, he could have done more. God is not the giver of a polygamist lifestyle. Okay? And I know everybody's going to raise the question. Well, you got Abraham and had Hagar, and then he had wives after that. And then many, many others had multiple wives. David did. Uh, uh, Solomon had, you know, I think Solomon had the most. He broke the record. You know, uh, all of those things. Okay. While it was permitted, it was not approved. Everybody with me? You understand my statement? God permitted it or allowed it to happen, but it was not necessarily approved by God. Because if you look at it very carefully, it did nothing but create trouble and problems for all of them involved. So God could have given Adam more, but he didn't. He said, he, he, said, he just gave one. Why is that? Because God... When you, even when you look at it in a picturesque kind of way, in typology in the future, there is one bride of Jesus Christ. Not multiple. Just one. There is one wife of God. The Old Testament talks about the wife of God being that of Israel. In the New Testament, Jesus has the bride, which is the church of the living God. Just one. It's all God wanted. That's all God, that's the way God instituted it. All right? Look at the rest of verse 15. And here's why. He tells us why. That he might seek a godly seed. Huh. Therefore, take heed to your spirit and let none deal treacherously against the wife of his youth. All right. So Israel... I need you to do something. Here's why God set it up this way. Here's why God said, I've got one for you. For each man. I've got one wife for you. Not multiple. One. I want to preserve a godly seed. We know, when we're talking about Abraham, and this, this kind of, the only example that I know of is with Abraham. I mean, I know there are others, but the one that we all remember is Abraham when, when God said, I'm going to give you a seed and you're going to have a son and all that. And Abraham and Sarah both were getting a little, you know, a little nervous. I mean, he's 99 years old. What do you expect? She's 90. What do you expect? I mean, beyond the years. Okay. Well stricken in years, both of them. All right. So how's this going to happen? Sarah's getting so so antsy and a little nervous, anxious about all of this. That we got to have a seed somehow. She jumped way, 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 way ahead of the Lord and offered Hagar. 
to which we have Ishmael and the Ishmaelites. And the Ishmaelites are surrounding Israel today. Now, if that hadn't happened, I know there's a lot of speculation in the ifs. But if, that had, if she hadn't jumped the gun, if she hadn't, if she hadn't offered Hagar and, and all of those things. See, there, there was a breaking of the covenant. And let me, let me say this. Sarah's the one that broke the covenant. Not Abraham at that point in time. So, so what we have is, a, is, is an ensuing problem, okay, that's, that's going on there. And, and actually, Abraham abandoned Hagar <laughs> at one point in time. Mm. I'm, I'm telling you, this is, it gets, Malachi gets really, we think Malachi is all about tithing. No, Malachi is complicated. Are y'all seeing this? You know how many hours I spent just looking at these? <laughs> oh, come on now. It's, it's a little bit more complicated than, than, than just meets the eye here. So we're talking about the spiritual leadership and how they have been involved in abominable ways and then they abandon their wives. God said, what is wrong with y'all? <laughs> I mean, he didn't say y'all, but, you know. He was like, wherefore? You know, like, come on, what are you thinking? Yeah, I had this thought. This thought just come to my mind. Y'all remember this? Y'all remember this phrase? What you talking about, Willis? Y'all remember that? Okay. For you younger generations, y'all don't know, come to me after church. I'll tell you what. All right. Anyway, I, I think that, that's the thought that kept crossing my mind today. I was looking at this, and, and it's like the children of Israel are saying, what you talking about? You know, uh, uh, as, he, as the Lord is saying, and Malachi is saying, uh, you've done this, you've done this, you've abandoned your wives, you've been abominable in your ways and all that. What you talking about? Uh, yeah, exactly. We know exactly what he's talking about. All right. Sorry, I just had to throw that in. I've been thinking about that all day long. All right. I was like, how's that going to fit in the message tonight? I'm really trying hard to get that in. So what are they supposed to do? What are they supposed to do? At the end of verse number 15, he says, take heed. Take heed in your spirit. And let none deal treacherously against the wife of his youth. Don't follow this example. Set a better example. Verse 16. For the Lord, the the God of Israel, saith uh, that he... Hateth putting away. Did you see that? God hateth. Now there are some things that God hates. This is one of them. God hates the putting away. He says, spiritual leaders of Israel, I hate the fact that you have put away your wives. What else does he say? For one covereth violence with his garment, saith the Lord of hosts. Here's what they would do. In that day, I can illustrate it. With my jacket. We're going to pretend. This section right here. Okay. If I, if I wanted in the, the, the um, let's see, the courtship of the man to his prospective wife, he would take the garment and he would cover her up and say, she's mine. That was signifying that she belonged to him. So what is happening here? He said, you're covering her up with violence. 
you're not covering her up with righteousness or with any well-being. You have, you have gone the opposite direction. Notice again what he says. He says, for one covereth violence with his garment. This is a violent thing that you've done and you're trying to hide it and cover it up through your activity. Therefore, he says, take heed your spirit that you deal not treacherously. Now, he said that twice in the text, hasn't he? He said it in verse 15. He said it again in verse 16. Take heed. Take heed. Take heed. Take heed. You better think about what you're doing. You better be sure of what you're doing. You better take heed to your spirit. In other words, you need to make sure that when you're speaking to the Lord, that the Lord, that there's a connection between your spirit, the Holy Spirit inside of you, and Lord, whenever you make those decisions. You make those decisions from the fleshly standpoint, then you're going to make a huge mistake. That's what he's saying. I, I really need to quit I got one more verse. Verse 17. Y'all good? All right. All right, here we go. One more verse. Thank y'all. I love y'all. Oh, thank you. Thank you. All right, here's the the last thing. Here's the last thing. Third point. Not only the abominable ways, and we've seen that in verse 10, 11, and 12. We've seen the abandoned wives in 13 through 16. Verse 17, one thing, one thought. That is the arguing weariness. What are they doing? They're arguing with God. They're arguing with God about weariness. Watch what, what, what happens. Malachi says, through the Lord, says, Ye have wearied the Lord with your words. The word wearied there, mark this down, write this down. The word wearied there is exhausted. You have completely exhausted God with your words. Why? Because their words were meaningless. They were saying one thing and doing something else. You said you want to play, you know, give God an offering, but your actions are different. You're abominable in your ways. So you are exhausting God with your words. It's almost like God saying, I don't want to talk to you no more. Right? Y'all remember that one, right? done with you. I don't want to talk to you no more. You are exhausting me without. Watch this. Watch this now. Yet ye say, wherein have we wearied him? God's very plain. Malachi's very plain. You've wearied the Lord with your words. You've exhausted him. And you are saying, how, 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 how do we exhaust the Lord? Here's how. When ye say, Everyone that doeth evil is good in the sight of the Lord. Here's what they're, here's what they're saying. When that, that priest who was the leadership, the spiritual leader, when he would put away or divorce the wife, oh, that's a good thing. No, it's not. Because in God's eyes it was evil. And when God says it's something is evil, it's evil. But yet the people are saying, You've, you're exhausting me because you keep saying it's a good thing when it's not a good thing. And then another thing he says in verse 17, 
he says this. And he delight, or so, I'm sorry, let me back up. When you say everyone that doeth evil is good in the sight of the Lord and he delighteth in them. The exactly opposite of that is true. God is not delighted in that at all. Does everybody understand? God was not delighted in their actions, their abominable ways, them abandoning their wives. He was not pleased with that at all. But then, they add, then he adds this. He says, where's the God of judgment? He's saying this. Where's the judgment? How many times do we know people or have seen people or whatever do something grossly evil, wicked, whatever, and their life goes on and on and on and nothing happens to them at all? You know what I'm talking about? Okay. It's it, it's it, the appearance is that there's no judgment at all. I can't. I mean, and we've all perhaps said it before. I can't believe they got away with that. I can't believe God has not reprimanded them or judged them or done something to them at all. Hang on, hang on. It ain't over yet. Can I remind everybody of one great quality of God? He's long suffering. And he's patient. And he's kind. And he's gentle. Maybe he's just giving an opportunity for that person to get right with him. Before judgment falls. It's just like those of today. Where's the promise of his coming? Yeah. We think it's, uh, in general, people think that, well, that's a fairy tale. Judgment's not really going to come. <laughs> no, 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 no. Not according to our Bible. Judgment is coming. It may not happen to the point or when we see it or when others might see it, but there is coming a reckoning day with God. You know what? I am so happy to get through chapter 2. I've never been more happy to finish a chapter than this one. All right. It, it definitely has its, its, its moments of challenge. And, and quite honestly, I think there's, there's not many people, uh, if not most of us in here, have been touched by this kind of content that Malachi is talking about. And with that being true, it makes it a little bit more difficult. You know, but God's gracious. And I'm glad that God is the gracious God that He is and merciful. And, and we can learn some valuable things. Some very valuable things. So, that being said, let's follow the advice of Malachi and take heed to our spirit. Father, we love you so much. We're grateful for your blessings. Thank you for loving us. And we pray, Lord, that you would use the thoughts tonight, the lesson this evening, to be helpful. Uh, may it, as we are challenged from this portion of your word, uh, may we take it, meditate upon it, and Lord, be, may it be used for your honor and glory. We uh, thank you. Thank you for the attention everyone's given tonight. We'll give you praise, honor, and glory for all you do in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.